turn with me as the kids go to the table to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians chapter 1. As soon as my technology catches up to where I am, we'll, uh, I'll be ready to go. Uh, as I said earlier, y'all usually don't know when we, the phrase team messes up. We usually just kind of plow on through it and, uh, you know, everything's... This morning there weren't no plowing to be done. Uh, it was just, let's, let's end this, and I'm still not sure where I went back wrong, but that happens. We buried it. We didn't plow it. We just buried it. Yeah, it was dead. That seed wasn't growing back. That's, uh, uh, we just went on. But, you know, grace and forgiveness and all those things that uh, I long since quit being perfect. As a matter of fact, I quit trying to be perfect. I didn't quit being perfect like I was at some point. We went to, uh, the, the association put on a dinner, the association had the North American Mission Board put on a dinner Friday night for uh, pastors and, and wives in the area, uh, just as kind of a, hey, come get together and relax for a couple hours, was the, the main purpose, and, and, and encouragement, but it was encouraging just to be able to relax for a couple hours. And one of the things that the speaker uh, who was there, it was Johnny Hunt, who was the pastor of Woodstock, and then Charles Lowry was also was the main speaker. And y'all might know who he is. If you ever got the SBC Life uh, magazine that they sent out, I think it was SBC Life is what it was called. It. Anyway, he, he had an article there. He used to be pastor in Shreveport, too, many long years ago. Yeah, yeah, First Baptist Shreveport and... Anyway, incredibly funny. He, he made us put a, a, our hands over our heart and resign from thinking that we controlled the universe. Um, and so uh, I didn't know I was so quickly going to see evidence of that, uh, it, it may, it, as I did this morning with the music, but it happens. All right, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We're continuing this theme of a growing seed, lessons for a church reborn. And this morning, this passage gives us evidence of growth. Now, we will expect and would expect evidence of growth to be those things that are visible. But in fact, Paul, Silas, it says Sylvanus in some of your uh, translations, but that's uh, another name for Silas. Uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy did not have in mind things that were seen. They were thankful as they prayed for those unseen blessings. Those things that, that weren't as obvious. Now, they could have in their prayers, and that's where we are in the letter. Paul greets them. He tells them uh, how thankful he is for them, the church in Thessalonica, um, he, he tells them what good work they've done. It was very common. Uh, that was how he started all of his letters, except Galatians. If you remember when we went through Galatians, he did not start it that way. He was much more upset with them. But that's how he begins. He thanks them for, or he thanks God for, and remembers uh, uh, these, these unseen things. He didn't remember, he didn't recall in the presence of our God and Father, better buildings, bigger budgets, and bountiful behinds. See what I did there? All the bees and, and behinds in the seats. I'm not, I'm not talking about bountiful, I'm talking about numerous. That wasn't what he was thankful for. He didn't look at Thessalonica and say, Absolutely, I see all the physical ways God is blessing you and isn't that great. He says and brings to mind at the beginning of this letter those unseen blessings, those things that aren't quantifiable. They aren't things that we can 
mark on a sheet and say, yep, look at this bottom line, it has gotten better. This number, it's gotten better. Or look at the uh, physical improvements on the building. Isn't that better than what we had? And as he prays, because that's what he says he's doing in verse 2, we always thank God for all of you making mention of you constantly in our prayers. And just so you know, verses 2 through 5 in Greek are, uh, all con, uh, 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 are all one sentence, one Greek sentence. We have periods, we have verbs that sound like he's doing something. And, and in fact, he's, he really says, we always thank God uh, for you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers, recalling in the presence of our God and Father, your work. It's just all one long sentence here. And as he has prayed, as he, Silas, and Timothy have prayed since they've left, uh, left Thessalonica, since they have heard about what's going on in the church in Thessalonica, God has confirmed these as good attributes. The, confirmed these three uh, uh, positive attributes that we're going to show up, or we're going to look at, as good things that are going on. Let's not lose that, that, that fact. Let's, let's hear just for a second God saying, yes, it is good that you have work produced by faith and labor produced uh, motivated by love and endurance inspired by hope. These are the things that God confirms as good and necessary in His church. What's interesting is that as you have read this past week, First uh, Thessalonians, you've seen that Paul has to go on and correct some of these things which is another common thing that Paul does in his letters. He introduces the ideas he's going to talk about very often in a positive manner. I love that you are reaching out to your community. And then a couple of three, four, five paragraphs later, he says, now, y'all need to do a better job of reaching out to your community. Right? He, 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 he gives them the, the attaboy and says, but now you, but you still actually need to work on this some. He will, he will have to correct the very thing he praises. And I think that's very uh, uh, important for us to hear as well. That even those things where we can look around in our personal lives, in our church life, and say, I am doing those things well, or we are doing those things well, I would be willing to bet at every point there is some way, somehow, we could say, yeah, but I could be doing better. But I could be doing more. And that's what we hear from Paul throughout the letter to the Thessalonians. But we're just going to focus this morning on those unseen blessings, these unseen evidences of growth to be a lesson to us as a church reborn. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 says, We recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Just three things that he says he sees in the church in Thessalonica. Three things that he recalls in prayer, three things that he is thankful for, and God confirms as good things in that church. The first is work produced by faith. Work produced by faith. Now this idea of work here is a general term for work. We would say probably deeds done in service to God. This would be the kind of work that would show up on just a, a regular as you go, as you do what you normally do sort of basis. This is seeing someone and offering them a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. 
It would also include, I, I believe, more intentional acts and more organized, organized acts, things that, that we're doing as a church body, as a church family. But this is an umbrella term. And we think of work, and, and we often think of, and we should, things that we, we kind of have to do, but they may or may not be super strenuous. He's going to get to those things in, in just a second. These are deeds done in service to God. Now, with Paul, we know that Paul has said over and over and over and over that your works don't produce your salvation. You don't earn your salvation. And he's not talking about here works that are necessary for salvation. But he will clearly, over and over, and here's a spot as well, where he says, though works are a result of your salvation. As a matter of fact, works will be, James says, works it will be a, uh, an evidence, a proof of your salvation. So that's why we go back to this idea of deeds done in service to God. Paul says these works, these things that, that you just do because you're saved, because of what Jesus has done for you, what God has done for you through Jesus, now you do these things for God. And these would include things like evangelism, general ministry, just, just good works. I mean, there, there's, like I said, it's this umbrella, generic idea of work. But it's work produced by faith, right? Works that prove your salvation. Works that are the result of salvation. Works that are a result of this faith, this saving knowledge. That's the kind of faith he's talking about here. Implicit in this is that if you are truly saved, if you have faith that is a saving knowledge, you will have good works. It will flow out of you. It may be intentional in that I've got to alter my course today, mess up my schedule, whatever. It may require intentionality but it will still just be a part of the outflow of who you are in Jesus. One uh, theologian put it this way. He is talking about here in, in this phrase, work produced by faith. Faith that is busy. Faith that is busy. And, and we're not talking about busy work. We're not talking about the, the, the worksheets that you had to do in school because that day the teacher didn't want to teach and no, I'm not slamming any teacher. I taught middle school. I did it. It's worksheet day. All right? I don't want to fool with you. Do this. And we're going to watch a video about it before you do the worksheet. We're not talking about busy work. We're talking about a faith that is actively working. We're talking about a faith that is actively busy. This phrase, this verse here, is not a command. You know, I've talked about over and over, especially as we move through uh, Paul's letters, I will point out the imperative verbs, right? That's what we should always hear as we read the letters. First, we hear, are there any imperatives? Do, don't do, go, see, whatever. There, there's no imperative verb here. The, the, the only verb is the one where he says, the, we recall, which is actually recalling, so, while praying, I, I, recalling all these things. And we have verbs in English, produced, motivated, inspired. Those words aren't there in the, the Greek either. It's, it's actually your work of faith, your labor of love, your endurance of hope. We translators from Greek to English, insert words very often to make it clearer, make it easier to understand, to get the intent of what the Greek obviously intended, but to put it in English. It just doesn't show up when we translate it directly. 
So we, we read these verses, there, there's no imperative, so we are, as the, the series title is talking about, uh, Lessons for a Church Reborn, we are looking at what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, and we ask the question, if Paul were writing First Sulfur, the letter First Sulfur, because I'm pretty certain we'd have to have a second sulfur, we might have to have a third sulfur. If he were writing first sulfur, would he say, when I'm praying, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly, I constantly thank God for you recalling your works of faith, your labor of love, your endurance in hope. This is an opportunity, church, for us to self-examine. Do we, as we look around our own lives, as we look around our church calendar, do we see work produced by faith? And let me back up for just a second talking about the church calendar. It's not the church calendar's job to get you to do work produced by faith. It's not our job to schedule your Christianity. It's not our job to schedule your faith that is busy. We absolutely want to have it to present, to provide, to have as many opportunities for you to do that. And, and over the past couple of months, a lot of those things have slowed down. Folks, yards have been cleared. We, we, had, we had a few months where we had lots of work by faith, right? We had lots of things we were doing. Just it seemed ev literally every day, hours a day, and then we kind of, that's over. But it's not, is it? Is there still work produced by faith to be done? I believe absolutely that there is. We do have scheduled opportunities. One of the slides was that you can sign up to be a church representative for a backyard Bible club. In that instance, we're not even really asking you to work. You just got to be there. Now, hopefully, you will have faith that is busy, and you're with the kids and with the, the parents that are there to, to watch, and, and you're contributing as the Lord leads, but that is just one opportunity. And so we self-examine. Can we, as First Baptist Sulphur, can I, as a follower of Jesus, say, Paul would write a letter to me and say, I recall your work produced by faith. Would Paul write a letter to me, to us, and say, I recall your labor motivated by love. Again, these things are are hidden. These, these things are evidences, but they are hidden evidences. They are often unseen evidences. Yes, we can put things on a calendar and suddenly they're seen, but if that's what we're waiting on, we will fail. We will not be a church that does work by faith, uh, work that is produced by faith. We will not be a church that labors motivated by love. We will be we will labor motivated by a schedule. We will work because of a calendar. And those things are okay. Some days we just got to put it on the calendar and we just got to do it. But where is our heart if we're depending on the calendar? Where is our heart if our labor is not motivated by love? So Paul now has said, I recall your work, or we recall your work. We also recall your labor. Labor is that intense toil, unceasing hardship. It carries with it the idea of cost. Labor hurts. You may go to work, and your work is spent at a desk. And, and, and there's little to no labor involved. I mean, you can hear the tools working in my office. 
click, click. Click, click, click. Click, oh, pin. Those are the tools that I'm running during the, during the oh, coffee. That, working the bicep there. So, in one sense, we would not call the, the office worker, the office work, laborious. Now, I would also say, come deal with some of the stress that we you deal with at the desk. And many of you office workers would say the same thing. It, there's a different kind of labor. It may not be physical labor that's working the muscles, but you sure do feel exhausted and worn out by the time you get home for it not to have been that sort of physical labor. So I'm not downplaying, okay? Not downplaying desk work at all. What I am saying, though, is that Paul, when he talks about labor, he is talking about the kind of work that beats you up physically and mentally and emotionally. The kind of labor that when you're done, you are completely wiped out. It costs something to do that. Folks, when was the last time your faith cost you something? Wore you out physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. That's the kind of faith we're supposed to have. That's the kind of action we should see from our church, from ourselves as individuals. He says, I see your labor. I, have, I recall your labor. God confirms that the church in Thessalonica had this sort of labor, intense toil, unceasing hardship, and cost. That wasn't calendared either. If we are doing the work of faith, if we're doing the work produced by faith, if we are doing those general, generic things, those activities, those actions of evangelism and loving our neighbor and those sorts of things, those will automatically be laborious. And costly. And I think Paul here is not separating the two. And most scholars agree that this, these two words are, are parallel. They're, they're not different things. But I think they are uh, an increase in intensity. And I think they are a progression. If you're doing the work produced by faith, you if it's true work, produced by faith, you will find that it is laborious and costly. That is the nature of the Christian life. That is the nature of following Jesus. It's not easy. You don't get to go through life without persecution and hardship and pain. You realize if no one ever came against you because of your faith, just the mere fact that bad things happen to you feels like persecution. Why did God let that happen? See, it doesn't have to be somebody. It can be something coming against you, and it still feels like this isn't the way Christianity is supposed to be. Things are supposed to be easier for me for some reason. But it's not. It's not at all. It is labor. It is intense. It never stops. you got to get up the next morning and do it all over again. And hopefully, you've been able to sleep the night before without the previous day running through your head and keeping you awake. Why do we do that? Why do we labor? Why do we get up the next morning and, and get back into this toilsome relationship? We do it because we are motivated by love. And this is that word agape. That in unconditional love that is intensely laborious. I mean, just think about it. It is easy to love somebody when you can stop loving them if it gets hard. That's easy. I mean, that's... that's, that's uh, 
that, that's not love. That is an acquaintance. Well, if it get, yeah, I know them, but you know, if they get kind of jerky, I just I move on. No big deal. That that's that's a Facebook relationship with somebody you've never met. You just go unfriend. We're done. That that is not uh, unconditional love. Unconditional love is laborious. And that's why labor must be motivated by it. Labor cannot be motivated by acquaintance. Labor cannot be motivated by mere friendship. And I know that friendship can be unconditional love, but I'm, I'm not talking about that kind of friendship. I'm just talking about the kind of friendship that says, well, as long as it doesn't cost me anything, we're friends. I believe Paul was intentional when he said, your labor must be in, uh, motivated by, uh, un- by unconditional love. And again, remember, this is not a must be. This is not an imperative. This is a descriptor. It says, church, I see you. I see that your intense toil, your unceasing hardship, the cost that you are willing to pay on a day-to-day basis is motivated by an unconditional love. That idea of agape, the word existed before the New Testament in Greek, but it is peculiarly Christian. The Christians adopted it and made it famous. They took that word and said, it is ours now. And it's really in contrast to the type of love in Greek called eros, which we get the word erotic from. Eros, that sort of love, is possessive. I own you with this love. This love means you are mine. And it also carries with it this idea that this love determines your worth. It judges who you are. So I possess you, but I only possess you if you are worthy of my possession. How twisted is that? But that's the idea behind that, that word. It is possessive and it is judgmental. It determines worth. Agape, on the other hand, is just the opposite on both counts. Agape is giving, not possessing. It is giving. As a matter of fact, it would say, because of my unconditional love for you, you actually own me. It is giving, and it disregards merit. It doesn't look at a person and say, well, I'll love you if you're worth it. I'll love you if it's easy. I'll love you if it doesn't cost me anything, if it doesn't lead to unceasing toil, if it doesn't, or intense toil, if it doesn't lead to unceasing hardship. It is a kind of love that loves regardless. It is a transformative love. Unconditional love is transformative. It is the kind of love that God has for humanity. Such that He would send Jesus to die for us. And when we experience that transformative love, or rather, we we receive that transformative love in order to actually give it, when we receive and experience salvation. It's a love that we get so that we can give. We then work. We then labor to share and show that agape, that unconditional love. But as strenuous, as unceasing, as toilsome as it is, because that love is unconditional, because it is agape, we are motivated by the same love that motivates God for us, then we find there is joy in the labor. There's joy in the toil. There is joy in the unceasing hardship. We've got the the, uh, examples, I think, of the past eight months. Those, Those days when we would spend all day cutting trees at a home of someone 
that we didn't know and has never darkened and will never likely darken the doors of our church. And you go home and you are done. And quite possibly you're going home to a poorly ventilated 85 degree home. And depending on your water situation, cold shower that's really just too cold to be comfortable. You, you weren't hot enough to enjoy that shower. And yet, you love it. There's joy. I was able to give, to show someone else what I have experienced from God. There is joy in the labor when it is motivated by unconditional love. Church, we self-examine here. Do we labor? Do we give up everything? Forgetting about the cost. To do the unconditional, the work that unconditional love requires. And then the third thing Paul sees, he recalls, when he remembers the church in Thessalonica in prayer, is endurance inspired by hope. Endurance inspired by hope. This endurance is not some passive acquiescence. This is not you just sitting there saying, well, I'm going to endure it. You know, whatever happens, I'm just going I'm, I'm to take it. It's not that sort of endurance. We can endure things in that way, but that's not what Paul is talking about. This is the, the strong endurance of a stout-hearted soldier. This is the kind of endurance that, that takes it boldly, but says, you know what, I'm not going to move from the position I'm in because of what's happening to me now. I will endure whatever comes because I know I'm where God put me. Y- y- y'all know we love movies at our house, and we watch a lot of them, and of course Marvel's the big, you know, one of our favorites. Captain America, in the first uh, Captain America movie uh, where, where we get to meet him, he, when he's a scrawny kid, and, and he, before he gets the super soldier serum, uh, he's, he's arguing with some guy about something, I don't even remember, oh, uh, uh, it was at a movie theater or something, and they go out back to fight, and, and uh, Steve Rogers is, is fighting and losing, because he's this big and this big around, and the other guy is not, um, and he, the, the big guy hits him, and he falls, and he gets up, and he hits him, and he falls, and he, get, and he gets back up, and and, and finally, the guy who's beaten up on him said, just stay down, stay down. And Steve Rogers gets up and says, I can do this all day. That's the kind of endurance I think of when I see endurance in, in hope. Endurance that is inspired by hope. This sort of endurance anticipates trials and tragedies. This type of endurance anticipates setbacks and scars. Steve Rogers anticipated, I'm about to get my tail whipped one more time, but I'm going to endure this because I'm right. In that case, I believe he was defending a girl or something. I don't remember what it was. He was right, and therefore he would endure it. He knew what was coming. He knew he was going to get punched and fall again. And he would get back up. That sounds passive. That's not. He's not acquiescing. He's not giving in to the bully and saying, never mind, you're right, I'm just going to stay down. No, absolutely not. I will endure because I know what I am called to. And in this case, in Scripture's case, what Paul sees in the church at Thessalonica is an endurance inspired by hope. Steve Rogers, Captain America, was inspired by his goodness, by his chivalry. We are inspired by something much greater than that. We are inspired by hope. 
Hope that is a certainty, not unfounded optimism. You've heard me say this a million times, and when I die at 108 years old, and I have retired uh, 20-something years before that from this church, but I'm still sitting here, hopefully not in the gym, but possibly, sitting in the wheelchair, listening to, to whatever preacher it is, I guess it'll be Tom, uh, preaching the sermon that Sunday, Hopefully what is said is, he's going to preach on hope, he's going to say something about hope from the pulpit, and everybody here is going to say, yes, we know. Hope is not optimism. It is a certainty. It is a conviction. It is absolutely, uh, uh, a, it, is, it is proof in our minds, not wishing. We know, because if I've gotten you to understand nothing else about Scripture, and hopefully I have after uh, I retire when the house is paid off, um, you will know that hope is, what's the phrase I always use? Can anybody tell me the two words that I define hope as? Come on, man. Confident expectation. Confident expectation. It's not wishing. It's not optimism. I expect this to happen. And I expect it confidently. I know it's going to happen. I have hope. I have hope in heaven. Why? Because I know heaven's going to happen. I have hope in my salvation. Why? Because I know that I'm saved. I have hope in my Savior. Why? Because I know He's never let me down and He's never going to let me down. I have confident expectation. I have hope. The church in Thessalonica had hope that Jesus was coming soon. And yes, He was. Now, they, they were getting a little worried. Paul, folks are dying and Jesus hadn't come back yet. How's that going to work? We, we thought he was coming back like just a few weeks. Okay, well, now a few years later. But we thought he's going to come back. And Paul said, he's going to. He's going to. That's in the Greek. He's going to. Just not when you expect. See, the church in Thessalonica was in the last days. 2,000 years ago, they were in the last days. You know which days we're in? The last ones. Same last days. Because Jesus is coming soon. He is going to happen. It is going to happen. And we have that hope. We have that confident expectation. But what we also have is not just hope that He is coming soon. Not just hope that He's, uh, that he's coming back. That one day He'll be with us again. We have hope in that He never really left us. We have confident expectation that Jesus is always with us. You know, I, I've, I've, when you've lived through the last 14 months down here, you, you know what we've been through. But when you hear somebody who hasn't lived through it describe it back to you, you go, oh man, that's rough. Yeah. Friday night, the, 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 one of the speakers, the, the singer actually, lives in Virginia, and he, he had his own battle with COVID back in May. He was in the hospital, something like 39 days or something like that. It, it, was, a, it was a very rough time for him, but they didn't have hurricanes, Right? And he started enumerating what has gone on. And, and you know, we, we, we know about the, the two hurricanes. We were here. But then we had the, 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 the winter storm, which I kind of forget about because it, it didn't do anything to our house. No busted pipes. No, so I, but, but it caused a lot of damage for a lot of people. I just started listing those things and... And I go, man, it has kind of stunk for a year or so. But you know what my confident expectation is through all of that? I, I, I really, standing on this side of it, and I think I did this as a kid sometimes, you know, you, you have the ditch that you just think you can't jump, but you're going to try it anyway. Maybe I'm the only one. 
often when we were, when we were hunting, that was when it happened. We had to cross a ditch or, or a creek or something, and, and, you know, it's cold, and if you mess up, boy, you're going you gonna to regret it, but we're going to try it anyway. And you, and you get the running start, and if you're smart, you hand off your gun to somebody else. I wasn't always smart. And you make that leap, and you make it, and you look back, and you go, I can't believe I made that. Maybe I'm the only one, but am I the only one that looks, like to last, looks back to last March and go, <laughs> I can't believe we made this. And it's not over. What I can't believe, I'm amazed at, but the bad amazed, not the good amazed. I'm amazed that Jesus never really left us. I should have that confident expectation, right? That hope, and I do, I know, that he never left us. We have the confident expectation, we have the hope, we endure because of our hope, our confident expectation that Jesus loves his church, that Jesus protects his church, and that it is our responsibility to build his church, right? Don't say amen, because it's not our responsibility. Who builds his church? God, yeah. Let's, let's go with Jesus when he said, I will build whose church? My, he said my, church. And it'll be fine until hurricanes come. It'll be okay until there's a pandemic. Everything will work out all right until there's an ice storm. It'll be okay as long as the budget's high, or the income's high and the budget's low. That's really what we want, right? It'll be okay as long as there are 225 to 230 people, but if it gets lower than that, um, I can't help you. Does he say any of those things? I believe the only thing he says... The only way he qualifies it isn't even a qualifier. I will build my church, and the very gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, what's interesting about that, and I hope you've heard this said before, gates don't attack, do they? When was the last time you saw a castle attack another castle? Not on TV in a cartoon. Or that weird movie that came out a couple of years ago where the cities floated around. It, was a, it didn't do well in the theaters. Gates don't attack. So if the gates aren't prevailing against Jesus' church that Jesus is building, what does that imply? It implies that the church is on the attack. That the church is... What would Paul say? Working, laboring, and enduring. And if the church is doing that, if we get the letter from Paul tomorrow, and I'm going to be impressed if we do, that we are working and laboring and enduring, then the very gates of hell cannot stand against First Baptist Sulphur. We have that hope. Jesus' church is foolproof. Do you know that? Jesus' church is foolproof. And it doesn't matter the fool in the pulpit or the fools in the pews. Jesus' church is foolproof. Now, will Jesus shut down some branch offices sometimes because the branch offices aren't doing what they need to do? He, he will. But the company is going to do fine. So let's be the church that's working and laboring and enduring and taking on the very gates of hell because the church of Jesus built by Jesus will prevail against those gates. Because as we end this verse, we see it is all about Jesus. 
We were called in the presence of our God and Father. Your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase, in our Lord Jesus Christ, actually modifies all three of those phrases. So you've got faith in and love for and hope in Jesus Christ our Lord. Why can we work in faith? Because our faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is not in our abilities. But our faith is in Jesus. Why can we love unconditionally? Because we love Him. And more importantly, because He loves us unconditionally. And He gives us that love to share with others. We are conduits for who Jesus is. So we have faith in Jesus. We have love for and from Jesus. And we have hope in the only thing that will stand. Buildings won't stand. Amen? They won't. This church may not be here. This church, this group of people, all y'all and me, will be gone in... Roughly 100 years. So this body will be replaced by another body. We will, this body will slough off cells and reproduce new ones, hopefully. But our hope, our confidence is not in this. It's in Jesus. That he will build his church. Jesus is our anchor. He's the one that sets us. He's our true north. He's the one by which we guide everything we do. He is our plumb line. He is the one that we set our church against. And we look, are we straight or are we crooked? He is our level that puts us on even ground, that gets us ready for what's coming. He is the standard by which our course is set. He's the map that we follow as a church. We read Scripture, we read Jesus, and then we we set the course of the church on that, by that map. He is the promise upon which our hope is founded. If we have hope in our church, it is only because we have hope in our Jesus to whom the church belongs. That is where our hope is. And as that seed grows, the, the seeds in the dirt, the seeds that we can't see, the seeds that, that, that did a lot of work right here that we had no idea about for a week or so until they popped up and there they were. As that seed grows, hidden without fanfare and fireworks, who are you looking to? Where is your hope? The growth, the blessings, the things that we see, or the things that, that are evidence of what God is doing, are very often, and certainly early, unseen. So when it's unseen, when it's under the dirt, when there's not more money than we can spend, when there aren't more people than seats, when there aren't walls, on the building. What are we looking at for hope? We look to Jesus. When your life is chaotic and ruined and your heart is heavy and everything is going wrong and you have no hope for your future, when you have no relationship, when it seems that everywhere you look is a pit and a hole and an end, your only hope is Jesus. And that begins with salvation. You can take the words I've said today and you can take this verse and it will mean nothing to you apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. That comes when we admit that we're a sinner. Admit that we have broken God's law, that we don't deserve His love, His goodness, or His salvation, and yet He gives those things freely once we admit. That's who we are. We believe that who, uh, in, uh, that, uh, we believe who Jesus is. The Son of God who 
died for our sins, living a perfect life, dying for our sins, seated at the right hand of the Father after he rose from the grave to prove his victory over death and sin. We believe who he is, and when we know who we are, and we know who Jesus is, then we say, I want Jesus. And we follow him. We choose to make Jesus our Savior. Often through a simply spoken prayer where we just basically go through what, we just, what I just said. Lord, I want to be yours. I want to trust you as my Savior. I want to know the joy of laboring in my salvation. You can do that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the lesson for our church. Thank you for the lesson for my life and our lives as individuals. God, may we, as a church, as members of the body, may there be those who could write a letter to us saying, I recall your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. May we be that church about whom that could be written, knowing that the rest of the letter would probably be, now here are some ways you can improve on that. God, show us those as well. And Lord, when, when it's hard, when we don't want to labor, when we don't want to work, when we're tired of enduring, when the, 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 it's just too much, God, remind us that it's all about Jesus. When the leadership is not the leadership it should be, when the followship is not the followship it should be, remind us that it is all about Jesus. That your church is foolproof against all the fools. And we trust you with it because you said you would build it and you would defend it. God, for those listening who may not have trusted Jesus as Savior and today they're hearing the message and they're thinking, now I want to do that. God, may they respond in faith today. Turn to you, admit their sins. I believe who Jesus is. Now, Lord, I want to follow you. Save me. Make me yours. God, we pray for a work in hearts today, in every heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. So maybe you need to make a decision today, respond somehow to the message you've heard, to accept Christ as Savior, to, to follow in baptism. Maybe you have other uh, areas of your life you need to give to him. Maybe you need to work, pray about, Lord, I, I want to I get a letter about my work and my labor and my endurance. God, I know as I self-examine, I'm not where I should be. But that's where I want to be. We're going to take four or five minutes and do that, but the self-examination doesn't stop when that song's over. You've got a whole week before I come at you with something else. So let's start now. Let's sing together. Let's worship. And let's let God do business on our hearts today.